Let's runners, do you like video games? Today's your lucky day. XC Cross Country Racing is now free on the Google or Apple app stores. Friend of Let's Run, Ryan Craven, he started to make this game during COVID. Thought it was going to be pay per play. He decided to change it up. The name of the game is XC Cross Country Racing. And this is made by former Foot Locker finalist, Wisconsin Badger, Ryan Craven. I'm not sure if the game includes a premature celebration because Ryan lost a state title for celebrating early at the line. But check it out. Please download, share, and leave a review. Support the cause today. It's almost summer, guys. I see summer intern Alex here. We'll get to that in a minute. But that means you need hydration. And that means electrolytes without the junk. It's here. I hate grapefruit, but the greatest electrolyte flavor is here for the summer, grapefruit salt. I love this stuff. I Seriously, I'm not lying to you or anything. This is a limited edition flavor. It's here. If you want electrolytes without the junk, you have to try Element. Link in the show notes. Go to letsrun.com slash drink to get your Element today. No sugar, no gluten, no dodgy ingredients. It's great. Money back guarantee. So get the insider bundle. Order a bunch. If you don't like it, they will refund your money. Check it out. Let'srun.com slash drink. Welcome, everyone, to this week's episode of the Let's Run.com Track Talk podcast. Paul Chalimo goes to England and runs a big 10,000-meter personal best. The two-time Olympic medalist is back, baby. Christian Coleman has taken down Noah Lyles in the 100 meters in Bermuda. World Athletics has scrapped the time qualifiers at Global Championships, and we have a massive weekend of track and field ahead of us with the LA Grand Prix and the Rabat Diamond League. Marcel Jacobs is scheduled to race Fred Curley. Yard Goose is scheduled to race Jakob Ingebrigtsen on Sunday. I cannot wait for that. This is your host, Jonathan Gold, along with co-hosts, co-founders of Let's Run.com, Robert and Weldon Johnson. Gentlemen, good morning. Good to be here, John. I'm actually kind of surprised you're here, John. Is your suspension up? I have intern Alex here. He was going to take over. I thought he was going to do the introduction and just take right on over for you, but I guess you decided to show up today. I didn't realize this was a legitimate suspension. I mean, if you wanted to pay me to not work, I could have gotten drunk on Sunday night celebrating Brighton qualifying for the Europa League for the first time in history. Uh, instead, I was on the call, a conference call. I was working. I came up with some articles. I mean... Would have been a lot easier just to get blasted, but I didn't even take it seriously. I did. What did I do to earn a suspension? Wait, wait. Intern Alex, are you even twenty-one years old? No, I'm not. I'm, I'm twenty. John, we could get sued for this. Talking about getting blasted in front of a kid like this. My apologies. Yeah, I'm sure Alex, Alex has never heard about alcohol or getting drunk. That's something that college kids never do, right? Definitely Most not. people, John, don't celebrate making in the NIT of soccer tournaments, but congratulations. And yeah, Chris, well, you what, how'd you do? What'd you do the last time Crystal Palace qualified for the Europa League? Well, no, I'm scrapping this part. No, oh. talk of Crystal <laughs> okay. Palace. 
For those of you guys who aren't supporters club members, you got to be a supporters club member. Like, we broke down the podcast recorded on Tuesday. We praised Sydney McLaughlin. What happened? She immediately pulled out of the LA Grand Prix. Then the big news came out that Bobby Kersey thinks a thing could be the 1500 meter Olympic champion. We went crazy, broke that all down. And we also talked about the night of the 10,000 meters. For yours truly, Jonathan Galt said, I give Paul Chalimo almost no chance of getting the standard. Did he get the standard, Walden? Just missed it by two seconds in horrible conditions. Jonathan Galt bet Rojo 20 bucks that Paul Chalimo wouldn't break 27.30. He smashed it once again. Jonathan went on suspension, but I guess he's back. I get suspended for losing a bet. That's the rules now. I know you you guys have lost way more bets in your life than I have. So the idea that this suspension was always a sham. I can't believe anyone. Well, actually, there were people emailing me like, oh, my God, are you actually suspended? But no, I was never suspended. It was all a joke. You can debate whether a joke was funny or not. But I am back here. As promised, I'll take my L, Robert. You, you like taking victory laps on this show. I said I didn't think Paul Chalimo would break 27.30. I didn't think he'd get the standard. He didn't. It's 27.10, but he ran 27.12. Really impressive front-running performance. The whole second half of this race, he was the only one going after the standard. Fell just two seconds short, but it was his first great race, I would say, since 2021, maybe the pre-classic. And so I was very impressed by what Chalimo did, but you were a believer. You said I shouldn't discount the talent that powered him to two Olympic medals. So if you want to dunk on me, here's your opportunity. I don't really want to dunk on you because Tone is lost. I always say Tone is lost on the internet and well, people didn't realize he was joking. And You did say he wasn't going to get the standard. He didn't get it. But I didn't like your disrespect for him. And to me, as a coach or former coach, I don't know, just the logic of it made sense to me. Like, he has to be in shape. Why would he be going to England? He talked big before the half marathon. I know it didn't go well, but I'm like, either this guy and the coaches and the new sponsors are just total psychopaths and they're trying to fool us, but how long are they going to keep us up or he's in good shape? I was super impressed by the race. Um, and I think it's it just makes the U.S. scene a lot more interesting. I mean, I know Joe Klecker and Woody Kincaid ran a little bit faster, but it was better conditions. So I would put him in similar fitness as them, and he's really good at the 5K. So throw in, you know, Grant Fisher, Abdelhamid Noor, you know. Well, were the conditions really this bad for this race? I watched it live. They were saying the temperature was nearly perfect. I think it was around 60 degrees. You're saying in some athletics weekly recaps, they were saying it was blustery, but I I don't remember anyone complaining about the wind on the broadcast. I mean, the women's winner ran 29.58. I thought this was... They had the pacing lights. The one thing he didn't have was a rabbit leading him, you know, deep into the race. But to me, it seemed like pretty good conditions to run fast. I have corrected the article. I originally said Athletics Weekly said it was blustery. Then I reread it and they said somewhat blustery. So I was only watching part of it. It looked a little windy. No, to, to me, the main thing was the rabbiting, John. Look, when Galen Rubb got the American record, he had a rabbit taken almost to the finish line, right? What well, it was uh the Lally Lang, right? Steven Sandberg. Steven Sambo. I mean, then didn't Ollie Hoare rabbit the 10K in California for like 8K or something ridiculous? 
I don't think it was quite that far, but yeah, he obviously, yes, Oli Hoare was rabbiting a good chunk of that race. He helped Kincaid and Klecker more than the Pacers helped Chalimo. So I, I just... I, I just think he should be very encouraged by this result. I think he's, you know, I mean, the men's 5,000 is loaded, I and mean, we're going to see that in a few weeks in Florence, but, you know, you, you act like he had been gone forever. He had a bad year last year. Let's give him a break and see what he can do this year. Well, look, he he even admitted, you know, you posted this clip on social media world and then Paul ends up responding to it but he's his comment was back like I never left but even he knows he was he did leave for a little bit you know he had a rough 2022 and he looked just as good as ever in this 10k it was a big pb from his previous best which was 2743 which was running back conditions in Stockholm back in 2019 but I don't think it was out of bounds to wonder if a guy who did not run particularly well in the half marathon he did earlier this year, 62-22, when his agent said he was in sub-60 shape, a guy who was awful in 2022, he was only 11th at USA's in the 5K, who has been contending for medals since 2016, I don't think it was a crazy suggestion to say that moving up in an event that he's never run that fast in he could struggle. He didn't. He looked terrific. And kudos to him. Certainly makes the US 5K, 10K scene more interesting now that he's a contender again. Because remember, we got Grant Fisher, we got Woody Kincaid, we got Joe Klecker. All these guys have been running well. It's going to be fun to watch. We've got Abdelhamid Norm coming up. The battle for those spots on the World Championship team is going to be fun. And Chalima running 27-12, he's right in there with them. But I think the idea that this was some crazy idea that he might not be able to run fast, I still reject that. I mean, it was a great run for him. At some point, the age catches up to you, and I think it catches up to you quicker than the 5,000 meters. But I was he's 32. And I'm like, wait, Lagat was pretty good at the 5K. Do you guys realize how old Lagat was when he won the Olympic trials in 2016? He was 41. <laughs> what? I mean, I, I, that's amazing. Yeah, but, and people like people use Lagat as an example, like, oh, you can do no, Lagat is a total outlier. Most 5K guys are done by 31, let alone 41. So Chalimo, 32, he's still kicking, he's still got something in him, but I don't like it when people just say, oh, look at Bernard Lagarde. He was good. Like, Bernard Lagarde is a historical freak outlier when it comes to track success. And also, one thing this year, I mean, this is a great run by Chalimo. Having him in the 5,000-meter mix is great. But it's no lock he makes this team. And the one thing different than this year, it's more like every other year except for last year, but last year was the first year they had the 10,000-meter championship separate from the trials, and it made the double much more much easier. But I got to assume probably all three guys, Klecker, Kincaid, and Fisher, do you think they all do the 10 first, then come back in the five? I think, I think they will, because Klecker has already said he's planning on doing that. Uh, 
and Fisher, I think, is good enough that he could run both. Like, he's probably going to want to give himself two shots to medal at Worlds. And the 10K is the final event of day one. The 5K is one of the final events of day four. So you have those two. It's a tough double, but I would expect Klecker and Fisher to both do it. My question would be, do Kincaid and Lamont, sorry, not Lamont, Chalimo, also try to do this because Chalimo historically his better event has been the 5k the 10k he doesn't have the standard he'll probably be able to get in off world rankings but that still sort of has to be sorted out Chalimo my expectation is he will run a 5k between now and USA's and if that one goes well probably just do the 5k only and be fresh for that one so that way, it's probably his better event, and he's fresh going against some guys who are tired. But if his 5K goes really poorly, maybe he's like, well, maybe I'm about a 10K guy right now. That's what I run at USA's. What do you guys think you should do? Like, like that comment doesn't make any sense. Just from a coaching standpoint, you're not in shape for the 10K, but not the 5K. Like, like, But you can be better at one than the other. Yeah, but I think he's better at the 5,000. So I expect him to do that. The whole standard thing is kind of annoying, like... Trying to figure out how many bonus points. I think as long as he runs like twenty-seven forty or something, he would get in on ranking, maybe even slower. But do we have? I guess no one's reached out to ask. But I liked it when they had the ten k earlier in this in the in the spring. I mean, I guess if I was uh, trying to make a team, I wouldn't like it because it makes it easier for the studs to make two teams. But two events. Why did they get rid of it this year? Yeah, we can reach out to USATF about that because my under the athletes I spoke to seem to be in favor of it because it, well, granted I was talking to athletes like I think Kincaid and Klecker who, you know, it makes it easier for them, but why, why shouldn't we be giving our best athletes a chance to run both events at worlds in between the, the double at worlds is fairly doable. You get a longer break between events than you would at a U.S. championship. So Maybe the fact that they shifted the pre-classic and now it's off the Worlds this year. I mean, you, you'd be able to... You could put the 10K champs... The re, the real thing, if they wanted to get attention on this LA meet, have the 10K champs this Friday. You know, this is something that should have been announced ahead of time. Like, obviously, it's too late to change it now. But if you wanted to do that, th- this would be an ideal opportunity because there's going to be a distance night on Friday. If you fit the 10K champs in there the timing's right where you could do that and then come back in July for the U.S. championships in the five. Yeah, I don't see Chilimo running the 10,000 at USA's. I think he puts all of his eggs in the 5,000 basket. He'll be out into lane six and win it, but so we love. All right, in the women's results, Ethiopia's Mizan Elam won in 29.59. Almost lapped the field. American Wayne Kaladi second, 31.04, which was a PB for her. I think her PB was 31.10. And the Kurgot ran 31.12. She was an eighth. So only one person got the standard. I don't know. Like when Wayne Kaladi was like rocking the Manchester course record and on the roads, I just thought she was going to be a superstar. And she just keeps coming up short in the track events. I, I know the standard's fast, but to me, this was disappointing. And then. It's kind of interesting. You're seeing like, I saw something on the forum this week 
that uh, Ellie Hennis isn't going to run, probably not going to run the 10K at, at Worlds because there's only three Americans with the standard, and you know they're giving eight spots to cross country runners. So right now it looks like these people with rankings aren't going to go. So people are like, why bother? I'm just gonna, we've got the U.S. team is basically set. Who are the three, John? Yeah, currently it's Alicia Monson. Carissa Schweizer and Elise Cranny. Those are the three Americans who have the entry standard. Uh, it's 30-40, which is quite tough. Very few Americans have ever run that fast. And as you were saying, Robert, based on the current, if you go to the Road to Budapest page on World Athletics website, based on their current projections, there are not going to be any women getting in based on their 10K world ranking. If the eight women who are in position to go based on their cross-country ranking accept their spots and all of the women with the auto standards accept their spots, which maybe not all of them do, but I think most of them will that leaves zero spots for anyone based on their world ranking. So yeah, if I'm Wayne Kaladi or Ellie Hennis or Natasha Rogers or any American who's not named Monson Schweizer or Cranny, I would, run the 5k at USA and only the 5k because in that one you can either get the standard or you might be able to get in on ranking the 10k you can tie yourself but out but unless you run under 30 40 you're probably not going Robert said Hennis wouldn't run the 10k at Worlds he meant USA's right right yeah it, yeah it doesn't make unless you think you're going to go sub 30 40 in Eugene maybe a little heat and beating Schweizer, Cranny, and Monson as well. Now, I guess the one thing is Cranny did not look great at Milrose. Remember, she pulled out of the 10K last year at USA's. Schweizer is coming off surgery. I don't think she's raced at all this year. So you would still need to get the standard, but if one of those women isn't in the race, maybe you would say, hey, if I run fast enough, that'll put me in the top three and this." They're only going to be, you know, Monson, I think, is the only one we're pretty sure is going to be running that. And even then, it's possible Monson says, hey, I don't want to tie myself out and double. I'm just going to run the 5K only. Yeah, and what if none of them run the 10, John? Would that open up spots for rankings? Uh, I th- Yeah, then it gets a little interesting. Uh, well, see, I think th- it probably th- would because, yeah, you have three women who'd be declining their spots who have the auto standard. We're probably boring the hell out of podcast listeners. The average person doesn't care about you know, the last person on the 10,000 and these obscure rules changes. But this is what is so infuriating about the sport. Like the U S should be allowed to send three and it should be the top three. Like it makes it, we're going to talk in a minute about the rule changes that world athletics has made. That's good for the sport. This is a terrible example. They try to encourage cross country racing. They have the cross country rankings and there's eight like athletes that really aren't any good. I mean, aren't that good. Like Natalie battle. Let's, Cutty of no Nadia Batacletti is actually good, Robert. She okay. has run in these global finals before is pretty good. But no, you've got three women from Spain because guess what? Half of the cross country tour races were in Spain this year, so they got a lot of points. And then you've got the Brazilian champion, Maria Lucineda da Silva, who got rich on running like the South American continental championships, which are not competitive at all. So those are the women that really are kind of backing their way in if they end up taking their spots. But I mean, Batacleti is a legit runner. But I, I don't, I think in the end, 
it's only those eight. They don't go to number nine and ten. I don't think all eight are going to be sent from their federation. Like, why? Some of these people are probably going to get lapped easily. So why would they send them? So we have twenty autos. They're supposed to take twenty-seven. That would be eight. That's twenty-eight. If if more than two people in there, they're, they're going to go to the rankings. I think they'll eventually go to the rankings. But then I see why these runners are confused. They're like, well, we don't know. Would USSTF even wait to see if we're going to get in? If we're there, you know, if you're Ellie Hennis or somebody like that, it's just frustrating. Making the sport better is the change that came out yesterday. They, they're getting rid of World Athletics has announced they're getting rid of the time qualifiers at Worlds in the 1500 steeplechase and 5000. So basically, it's been a huge advantage. Like I think at Worlds in the 5000, it was the top five in every heat, the two semis got into the final, and then five time qualifiers. So if you were in the second heat, it was just a massive advantage. And I think, you know, basically the stats were you were twice as more likely to get into the final out of the second heat as you were the first heat. I like this. It's very simple. Get in the top. What what place do you have to finish, John, now in the semis together? In the 5K, it's top eight in both semis go. And that's it. No time qualifiers, which I think the wins here, one, it's fairer. Now you are going to have in the 1500 because they base it on like you know your place in the first round some of the semis might be a little unbalanced so one of the remedies to that in the past you would say okay these two heats they're both really one of them's tougher but the tougher heat maybe they run faster to get the time qualifiers so okay yeah you're taking that away but it's it's better to have this system where you don't have any time qualifiers and it's just top six than to have a system where the second heat just has a huge advantage in knowing exactly how fast to run. Eliminating that advantage, I think, is more important than the running the risk of unbalanced heats. Right, so now to make the vinyl in 1500, you just got to be in the top six, right? You should be in the top half of the race, and you're on. And we know instantly. Now, I guess it might be bad for TV because before, if you were in the first heat, you might keep the TV viewers interested for eight heats to see if their time get in. I like it. I like this a lot. Now, what I don't like is they didn't do anything for the 800. And we've always said going from the semifinals in the 800 where there's three rounds of eight, so there's 24 people, to an eight-person final is brutal. It's the top two in each heat and then the next two time qualifiers. So that's staying. And I've always thought like you should have at least three because you don't want to like knock out any potential medalists. I know that like a fourth person, fourth player in the semi could do better in the final and still medal, but to me, it's like I would do the top three in every heat and have a nine-person final. If you don't have a nine-lane track, you have two people share a lane. Now, technically, that's against the rule book for people to share a lane, but they do it all the time in Diamond League. So the two slowest people would share a lane if you don't have that, and th- that would be much better. And in the first round of the 800s, you've got six heats. Th- they've been doing like top four, right, John, and then next six, they should just do top five. Or top three and then the next six? Just yeah, they've four. been doing top three and next six. And what they're now doing is just the top four in each. Well, no, sorry. They didn't change the 800. So that's, yeah, that's the, the old rules are still in place. Like the, the area to me that, like, it's kind of interesting, like, thinking about it from a theoretical perspective. I just think that, like, now in the sprints, they do do time qualifiers. It's top two in the semis and the next two time qualifiers. But I was like, that's a lot different. In a sprint, you're not drafting off somebody. You're running your all out in your own lane. That's what you're doing. In 800, it's a tactical race. Leading is, there's some advantage. You're running the shortest distance, but you're also running into the wind. 
and people are drafting off you. So uh, I, I would change that. But then I did think, well, there's some fluke. At, like I even thought they should go a little bit farther. And the sprints adjust the time qualifiers based on wind. Like if you got a three wind, you convert that time to zero wind and see what it's like. But then I thought I added to the article. I said, but I'm always complaining we don't have randomness in our sport. Maybe it's good to have a little bit random. Like if you get lucky and have a huge tailwind, you're in the final. Yeah, I'm not. I, I have thought about converting the sprint times with the win, but it is a little bit more complicated. I, I don't have a huge issue with the current system. I want to take get your take on this on some of the maybe knock on effects of the new rule because, like Robert, I'm in. I'm definitely in favor of minimizing time qualifiers. I've always thought that there were too many. I wouldn't. I wouldn't mind having like a couple in the fifteen hundred, but I'm also totally fine with just scrapping them entirely. But we, ha- we have a thread on this on the message board, and the poster 89 Steps posits the following argument. Cutthroat running comes from people trying to get their time queue, rarely from those getting auto queue. After the first few are in, there is always a mad scramble to get that time queue, which is the most exciting part of the prelims. If someone's in ninth or 10th, they have no motivation to try to move up to 7th. It's a wasted race for them. With the time queue, at least they have something to finish for, and if they don't advance, they can say they gave it a shot. I am fine with reducing the time queue spots, but eliminating them will likely result in poor racing, not better racing. Do you agree with that or not? I don't understand that. So you're ninth, you won't try to get to seventh, but but now the person eighth will try to get to sixth. Like I, I don't really agree with that. I, I saw people complaining about, oh, they'll do a jog fest. I, I don't think it's anyone's interest to do a jog fest. If you're one of the best runners, you're not going to want it to come down to a 200-meter sprint. You're going to want it to be fairly honest. Even if you're like Ingebrigtsen, you don't want it to go at 65 in the 400 because people fall. So you'll just try to run a, a fairly honest pace and then kick. I, I just the other thing I think that's not fair about it is sometimes these heats are running in, in the daylight when it's warm, so it can be a lot hotter, you know, for certain heats, shade and stuff like that. So what do you mean the heats are running at the same time? It's not really you're not going to have appreciably different conditions. The jog fest is a little was maybe my only concern. When these rules came out, I was like, my inclination is like, what's fine, what's wrong with them? And then I'm like, wait, this is what we've been advocating for. We wanted to get rid of the time qualifiers. And then I'm like, oh, maybe should they should leave one or two time qualifiers? No. I'm glad they're scrapped. I wish they'd applied something to the eight hundred. I think three, three, and three, nine for the final would be a better way to go. But The jog fest, I could see. What if, like, I mean, in theory, right? You could walk for twelve laps of a five k and then sprint at the end, and you still get in. Like, you could maybe you could have a minimum time. Like, if, if you don't hit the minimum time, you're not in the final. Yeah, I do like, think the five k's. The five k's could go very slowly in the early laps because even if you take off with a thousand to go, you know that's enough to kind of separate the cream from the wheat from but, the chaff. But I, in general. I'm a big fan of this move. I don't think things are going to go super, super slow. And I think it's a win for the fans because how many times have you been watching a race and you've been trying to figure out, okay, they need to run this exact time, but they also have to finish either sixth or seventh. But if they finish seventh, then they have to run this time because they have to be the other part. This one, it's very simple. It's cut and dried. Top six, you're in the next round in the 1500. If you're below that, you're out. I think that's a win for track fans because you can just know right then and there. Like the second Josh Kerr or Cole Hawker finishes in 
seventh place or below, you know that's it. They're done. Except for the Olympics, because you have this silly repechage round. So after the first round of the 1500, only the 1500 among the distance events, they don't have repechage in the... Well, they have it in the 800 as well. They don't have it in the, fi- the 5K or the steeple. But if you are not a time qualifier from... Sorry, if you're not an auto qualifier from the first round of the 1500 at the Olympics, then you get put into the repechage round where you can still earn, earn your way into the semifinals. Because that's what we needed, right? Watching a bunch of like subpar 1500 meter runners racing it out. Like, so the guy from like, no offense to Albania or something. Can, yeah, he made the second round. I don't Look, see how why they thought this was a great thing, but maybe now the people in Albania will watch the fifteen hundred because there's guys got a shot to win. He could win. You can win the heat. You know, it's like the conference, the uh, Europa League of the Olympics, right? Of the fifteen hundred. Well, then, yeah, it's like the Brighton Hove Albion of no, no, running. No. So come on now. I don't want to rip that. Are you allowed to celebrate the repercharge round? I mean, there might be some really big celebrations. The more I think about it. When does when a guy in, in the repertoire round ever won anything? This could be great, actually. I might well, be no, I'm, I'm going to point this out. Josh Kerr, the 2021 Olympics, he needed a time qualifier to advance from the first round, and then he ended up meddling in the final. So under the new format, he would have gone into the repertoire round. Now, he would have had to run an extra race compared to the other finalists. I, I, I'm not saying it never happens, but in general, just, yeah, no, the repertoire round, this is something... No one was asking for, and I think the reason it came into place is because you had some of the powers that be feeling it's unfair for someone in the 200 meters to show up, they run a 20-second race, and that's it. Their Olympic experience is over because they didn't advance to the next round. They want to give athletes more of a chance to be part of the Olympics, to have them run at least two races. So that was the thinking here. I think it's misguided, but that's the reasoning behind it, I think. I'd love to know who came up with the idea, why, but I'm not going to rip it. Maybe it'll be okay. We'll, we'll let him try yeah. it one time and then see if it's stupid or not. But what well, well, was worried about the walking? Oh, it'll be slow. Right. Well, you could walk now anyways, Weldon. You could still walk the first two miles of the 5K, and as long as you're in the top five, you were in. So it's not that much different. It's just fewer people walking would get in the first under the, under yeah, the old rules, new rules. In the old, in now, if you walk there are no time qualifiers like the other one you would have some there might be one or two people in the heat who might be incentivized to make it a little faster if they're worried about that kick this is definitely a step in the right direction robert said you know oh in the hundred you could adjust for the wind no the science part of me likes that but no but there's some obscure sport i was watching recently this is ring a bell. Maybe it was like cross-country skiing or maybe rowing or something. There was some sport. It may adjusted for the wind on the fly. I don't know what it was. Does this ring a bell for anybody? Okay. Visitors, email us. Podcast at let'srun.com. If there's some obscure, I presume it's probably an Olympic sport, where they adjust for the wind. Like, there's just some like algorithm, I swear, that did it. Maybe I had a dream about this, but I hope not. Hope that's not what I'm dreaming about. All right. Speaking of wind, can we talk about the Bermuda Grand Prix? I thought it was the Bermuda Games because that's what I think it was called last week, but they've actually changed it and it was the USATF Bermuda Grand Prix. It was in, yes, you guessed it, Bermuda on Sunday, live on regular NBC, 2 to 4 p.m. And, I, you know, a lot of these races... 
weren't really that high quality, but we had a great men's 100 meters between Christian Coleman and Noah Lyles. Coleman, Coleman got one of the best starts I feel like I've ever seen from him. I'm not an expert, but he was just out of the blocks, immediately had two to three meters on the field. And Lyles, as usual, was a bit further back. But then over the last 30 meters, he closes like crazy. I mean, we've seen this before. It's the classic battle between Coleman gets out really hard, Lyles not as quickly, but can he run him down? Lyles just ran out of track. Coleman held on to win 978 to Lyles' 9.80. Very windy, it was a 4.4 win. But I enjoyed this. This is two of the big stars of American track and field. They're racing each other on national TV on a Sunday afternoon. And we, now we kind of have a chance to look at the packing order. Coleman has beaten Lyles. We've still got a few months until USA's, but I thought this was great. I enjoyed watching it. What did you guys make of it? Well, I've got to be honest. Since I was been bragging about my Paul Chalimo pick, and I know Christian Coleman's father listens to the podcast, or at least he has in the past, and was upset when I criticized him. I thought Lyles would beat him. John, you didn't. You said Coleman would win. I kind of thought Coleman was washed in the 100. I know he made the final last year at Worlds, didn't he, John? But he was not in the medals when we swept him. Um, so congrats to Christian Coleman. The more people that are, are you know doing well, it's more interesting event. What was weird to me was Coleman had this huge lead, but Lyles was tracking him down. But then Coleman like let up at the line, almost got caught. Colin was looking at the clock when he crossed the finish line. I thought that was very strange that he had Noah Lyles to his right and he turns to his left. You had this weird thing where right after they crossed the finish line because it's sort of curving, they almost had this little collision because Coleman had turned his back. It was, it was strange, but no, it was a good win by Coleman. I mean, my thinking on him, yes, he was not at the same form last year that he was before he had his suspension, but I also thought it was possible he'd be better this year than he was last year because he's kind of back to the routine of running. I know he, he was still training during his suspension, but he wasn't on the circuit. It was a disruption. You had COVID in there as well. Like, I did think he had a chance to be better this year than he was last year. Now, will that be enough to return to the top of the podium at Worlds? I don't know. Fred Curley's still running really well. You've got Trayvon Bromel and Marvin Bracey. I mean, Marvin Bracey hasn't been that great this year. You've got maybe Marcel Jacobs. You know, it's going to be tough, but Coleman has not lost a race this year. He beat Lyles in the 60 back at Milrose in February. He has won all three of his 200s this year, including a win over Letzil Tobogo and Miramar. His start looked sensational. He won this race. He looks... I don't know if he's back to 2019 level, but he's certainly better than he was in 2022. It was a nice win. But after watching this, and they raced it again, I think Wiles wins. That was my takeaway on this thing. Coleman, as you said, got a huge advantage on the start. I feel like Wiles couldn't have been further behind. He still almost caught him. But I think both these guys, you know, it's an uphill battle for both of them. But, for, and, Coleman's camp, yeah, he did come back from a, two years off. I mean, remember Justin Gatlin when he first came back? Granted, he had four years off, but it took him a long time. Yeah. 
And actually, you know what? I think I might have gotten a little bit overexcited here because I'm looking at Coleman's results from last year. He ran faster indoors last year than he did this year, granted he didn't race as much. But outdoors last year, he was running a lot of winning a lot of his early season races. He ran 19.9 and 200 in April. So maybe I'm overreacting a little, but you could tell this meant a lot to him. Like Coleman, he was celebrating big time when he crossed the finish line because he's beating Lyles as one of his top rivals. He should celebrate. I'm, so it was a good sign, but it's gonna. Be, we know it's gonna be very competitive. And Coleman has the upper hand at the moment against Lyles, but he's going to be have to beat more than Lyles at USA's. And Lyles, if he can get his... I mean, this is a question for him, right? If he can get his start a little bit better, he was moving way faster than Coleman at the end of this one. So I, I think it's going to be... This is what's exciting to me is we got to see where they're at right now. Now they've got a few weeks until USA's then come back, tinker, and see who's better then. But they're still pretty close. So that's that's good. You know, it's better that we have that as opposed to one of the guys just being way fitter than the other. All right, let me bear, be the bearer of bad news. Converting for the win, this is only a 9.96 for Coleman, 9.98 for Lyles. Remember, Lyles lost to a high schooler this year. And, and I've done this. We've got a huge matchup this weekend. We've got Enrobot. This meet's going to be amazing. We're going to do, we're probably going to do two bonus podcasts this week. Friday, we're going to do a quick Friday 15 where we preview Robot. The U.S. Distance Classic, but Rabat's going to be amazing. I mean, the, the entire meet is some of these early Diamond League meets are per, are so loaded. They're so amazing because people like to see where they are, and then they can back off and train for Worlds and come back. But you've got Marcel Jacobs, the Olympic champion, Fred Crowley, the World Champion. These guys don't like each other. They've been talking beef. They're scheduled to race each other. Plus Ferdinand Amanialo of Kenya, who's the you know the um, world leader. You've got Tobogo in there, the world junior champion, Trayvon Bromel, who won a medal, even Johan Blake. I mean, unreal. And then Yared Nagus and um, Jacob Ingerbridge in the 1500, Caputo, Wally, Alpacali in, in the steeple. You've got Delilah Muhammad and uh, Grant Holloway, Devin Allen, even back from the Philadelphia Eagles. Emmanuel Career in the 800. This is amazing. So shut back on Friday. Let's run.com slash subscribe. We'll, we'll break it down for you. But this 100 has got me really pumped, and that's why I converted all the times of the year so far to win legal. And we have a poll up in Let's Run. Who's going to win this 100-meter showdown? Well, first of all, Will Curley and Jacobs race each other. This is amazing. I can't believe who put that up, John or Weldon. Which one of you was so cynical? The week of the race, you think someone's going to pull out? Cynical? Weldon put this up, and he should have. These guys were scheduled to race three times last year and didn't race at all. So I this... This happens all the time. We'll get these big matchups and then they're taken away. It's quite rare for the reigning world 100-meter champion to face the reigning Olympic 100-meter champion. Yes, yeah, cynical. The poll results right now are 54% yes, 46% no. Whereas they put up the same poll, well, Jakob Ingerbrot's in a year in the goose race and it's 84% yes. So it's what? pretty much even money. If you want to get me... Go back. Two to one, I'll bet you right now they don't race. Let's go to last week's episode. What were we talking about on this podcast one week ago? We were saying Sydney McLaughlin Lavroni is going to race Marlady Paulino in the 400 in LA. It's going to be amazing. The podcast is not even published yet. And we get news actually 
Sidney McLaughlin Laferoni has withdrawn. So maybe the real question should be, by the time this podcast goes live, will this matchup still be on? Or will one of them have withdrawn? And I've been thinking about this because I, I was about to come in pretty confident that Jacobs will pull out. But I think he needs a race. His, the big one for him is Rome, which is now the Florence Diamond League this year. I think they're renovating the stadium. He wants to win before the Italian crowd. So, but he needs a big race. He needs to get in a race before then. So I think he has incentive maybe to come up, take the L at this one, help him get ready for Florence, try to turn the tables. So I can see this one happening. We're six days away now, five days away. I'm going to say it happens. But here's the thing. I don't think it's in Jacob's nature to duck people. I know Fred Curley has called him out for ducking, but this is a guy who last year showed up at the World Indoors in the 60 and raced against the world record holder, Christian Coleman, and beat him. Like, the, the Olympic champion, the 100 meters, did not normally run World Indoors a few months later. The reason I think Jacobs wasn't racing last year is because he wasn't healthy, and we clearly saw that at the World Championships. He did not look like himself. So, indoors this year, he raced a bunch. He still didn't look totally healthy because he got beat at the Euros in the 60, and he had that Italian tricolor athletic tape all on his leg. So I think, look, if Jacobs is in training this week and he's thinking, I'm not in shape to run well, like I'm still not 100% healthy, yes, he might withdraw. I think Curly will be there because Curly's been racing over the entire world. Like he's scared, I looked at it by the end of. Next month, he's scheduled to have raced on all five continents. Sorry, not on all five, but on five continents already in 2023. He's been to Australia. He's been to Asia. He's going to be in Africa, and then he's going to Europe and you know, obviously the USA as well. So I don't think Coley's going to drop out. The big question is if Jacob, Jacob's health, and we know his health has been an issue the last couple of years. So if he's healthy, I think he runs. We need to praise both these guys. They don't duck the idea that Jacobs ducks people is absurd. John World Indoors it was a highlight to see him there competing against Coleman, beating Coleman. He's like, I just wanted a challenge. And remember last year, he he showed up at Worlds. Didn't he have to pull out of the final? He got, he got to the semis, maybe didn't make the final. I can't remember. But he kept going, and he went to Euros and won that a month later. So the guy likes to race. He's good for the sport. Curly's been racing all over. But what is shocking to me is we have this pull up. Who's going to win this race? On Let's Run, 72% of people are picking Curly, 7% Jacobs. I can see why Jacobs is down that low, but Omanyala is only getting 14%. And if you look at the win conversions, Ferdinand Omanyala has run a bunch of times in the 9.8s this year with wind and altitude, blah, blah, blah. But it converts his fastest time in Nairobi, 9.84 at altitude, converts to a 9.87. Curly ran 9.91, but that was with a tailwind. That converts to 9.93. So I... Like, I'm not sure that the the peak Omanyala is as good as the peak Curly or Jacobs, but I think right now I I would put the odds. I don't know. I I I think I would put Omanyala at least at like the same odds as Curly. I I think that he's got a very good shot of winning this race. I think Curly has better odds. I mean, Curly just ran 988 and 991 in Tokyo. Sorry, in Yokohama. I know I know Omanyala beat Curly in Nairobi last year, but 
I mean, Curly just has a more consistent track record. What has Ferdinando Mignola ever done in a Diamond League? I know he's run well in Nairobi, but Fred Curley's more of a big, big meat performer than Omignola. So this is a big meet. I'm giving the nod to Curley, who's been running well right this right so far. Coleman will be running across the country at the LA Grand Prix. Noah Lyles, not at either one of these meets this weekend. That's sort of how our sport works, right? In terms of diamond leagues for Omanyala, he's hardly run any. He ran a ton of races last year, but he was kind of minor circuits and African champs and blah, blah, blah. I just feel like he often gets in shape early in the season. I kind of think that, I don't know. They, they probably, who coaches the guy? Like, let's be honest. Like, are there really experienced sprint coaches in Kenya that are good at like, okay, metering out your season and like making sure you're ready to go at the Worlds? Like, I would imagine the answer is no. But well, no, it's weird because I think of him as some guy, someone who gets in shape early in the season. But in 2021, his personal best, he ran that on September 18th in Nairobi. So that was a month and a half after the Olympics. So I don't but, know. One of the reasons why I didn't get too bad on you, John, for the poor Paul Chalima take was I've never been more wrong about Marcel Jacobs. I mean, when he won the Olympics, I thought, okay, this is the most obvious doper of all time. Like, this is a flash in the pan. He'll never break 10 seconds again. And this is a guy that, you know, how do you prove to me that you're not doping? You can't really prove it, but what's the next best thing? Keep competing for a number of years at a high level and race all the time. Well, you're tested all the time. And to his credit, he's been doing that. So I'm not, I don't know if he's clean or dirty, but we've got a lot more faith in him that he's clean now than I did when he won that Olympic title. All right. Let's talk a little bit about this 1500 meters as well. Cause I saw the entries Which on ones? this. The men's 1500. Well, then. No, the women's. We. We got two good 1500 meters, men's 1500 meters this weekend. Oh, right. The, the LA one as well. Okay. No, I want to start with Rabat because I saw this and I looked at the start list and there were two names I, were looking, I was looking for. And they're both on here. It's Jakob Ingebrigtsen and it's Yared Nagus. This is Yared Nagus's Diamond League debut. He's flying all the way out to Morocco. He's got his OAC teammates, Mario Garcia Romo and Oli Horror in here as well. And Jakob Ingebrigtsen will be making his outdoor debut in this meet for 2023. I mean, this is the matchup we want, right? Ingebrigtsen, I know he's not the world champion right now. That is Jake Whiteman, but he's the standard. He's the guy to beat on these Diamond League races. He shows up. You know you're going to get a big race from him. It's going to be pretty fast. And Nagus, you know, he had that 1-800 tune-up at Sound Running. He got a personal best, 146, won the race. And now he's going on, he's measuring himself. This is it. How good are you to the guy who's been the guy in this event the last two years? And I don't know. Some people on the message board are saying, this is totally disrespectful. Look at how many Diamond Leagues Jakob's won. He's the Olympic champion. He's the world silver medalist. What has Nagus ever done? But the other part of me is like, well, Nagus is winning every race he's possibly in. He hasn't. He's won about eight in a row. He ran seven twenty eight 
indoors for 3K, which is very close to Ingebrigtsen's PB. Then he ran a 347, closing in a 25 to win Milrose. He's the, he's strong. He's really fast. He's the exact recipe for someone who you would say, okay, he's strong enough to hang with Ingebrigtsen and still maybe have a kick at the end of the race. You know, theoretically, well, on paper, he sh- should have a chance of doing that. But Ingebrigtsen, we know he's so good. He's consistent. I mean, I, that's why I'm so excited to see this. I don't know what is going to happen in this race. I think a small correction. You say he's really... I don't think Yurt Nagus is really fast. He doesn't have a great 100-meter PB. But he's got a great... Oh, okay, I, I forgot that you only measure speed by based on a runner's 800-meter personal best, Robert. You're totally obsessed with this. He closed a 347 mile in 25. He's got enough speed to succeed in the 1500 meters. He's got a great close. And I'm with with you on this. Like people saying it's disrespectful. Look, that's why I converted the 100 meter times to win either. Times don't lie. Like look at humans don't run a whole lot faster than 347 with the 259 close. Like, like we objectively have that data. He did that. If he's in that type of form again, he's going to be very hard to beat. He just did an 800 and I, I wish there was betting on this. Maybe we can find it. I mean, Jared Nagus, look at the start line. He's the, got the slowest PB of anyone in the field except for people from Morocco. There's like 15 guys in the field. But I would put the money... God. To me, it's almost like a toss-up. I think Nagus is going to win it. But to me, it's like 50-50 in these two. And well, the now, question... The question for me, Robert, is is Nagus in the same kind of shape as he was in February when he's running these fast times indoors? Because the thing, the underrated thing I think about Ingebrigtsen is he's in close to 330 shape year round. He'll show up and he can run that fast all the time. He runs it in championship finals. He runs it indoors. In Yard Nagus, we know he was in that shape indoors in February 2023, but that's the only time in his life we've seen performances at that level so can he maintain it and start doing it in diamond leagues and at global championships because we know that Ingebrigtsen can interesting john because i don't have really many worries about nagusa's fitness he was running great indoors he just blasted a 146 800 pb i'm a little surprised that Jakob would show up against one of the guys who I consider to be, this is crazy. He's never run a diamond league, like one of his main rivals for the year and just be like, yeah, I'm going to take you in the first race. No tune up races. Now he won Bowerman, the Bowerman mile last year in his first outdoor mile, 1500, but he'd run it. He'd run a 5k at sound running before that. Maybe I shouldn't doubt him, but I would kind of almost like to see one tune up race for him beforehand. Have you ever, Talk to Jakob Ingebrigtsen, Weldon. This guy is not someone who's lacking for confidence. He thinks he's the best runner in the world. He'll race anyone, any, pretty much anywhere, anything between 1,500 and 5K. I don't think he's going to be all that worried about a guy, Yara Nagus. He's probably heard Yara Nagus's name at this point, but Yara Nagus has never even run a step at a global championship. So I don't think Ingebrigtsen's going to be worried. Ingebrigtsen's mindset is, I'm the best runner in the world. If I show up in shape, I'm going to win the race. I don't think anyone worries him. It will be Correct, interesting because everyone says, you know, the Diamond League is more physical. 
there's more guys around, you know, you're not just sort of maybe just behind the rabbit. I'm curious to see how Yara does this. Well, we got Ollie Hoare. Can I, we just say thank you to Dathan Ritzenhine? His motto is race these guys in the best fields possible. I think that comes from Alberto Salazar. Am I allowed to say Alberto Salazar? Can we have an Alberto Salazar segment? I'm going to ask intern Alex. He's a little more. Can someone unmute him? Alex, is it, is it okay to still have an Alberto Salazar segment these days? Is, this might be unfair of me to put on the intern on the first podcast, but will we be canceled if I... We used to have a jingle when we play Alberto Salazar music. We sort of scrapped it, but... In my opinion, I think it's all right. Thank you, thank you. When they turn into the park, it seems like the wind might be in their face. It's Salazar, Salazar, Salazar. And while we're speaking about intern Alex, should we introduce him here? Alex, do you want your last name to be known to the world, or are you going to try to stay incognito all summer? It's okay. Okay. Alex Geula, hopefully I said that right. He comes from probably the greatest distance running school per capita in America, Wesleyan University. They've had two Boston Marathon champions and Ambie Burfoot and Bill Rogers. I'm sure Alex will be the third. He's more of an 800 type now, but Bill Rogers was smoking like three packs a day at Wesleyan, right? That's what I heard. But I see here, John, I ask a question. You guys probably don't even know. There's a secret chat here on, on, this, on the thing. Like You guys have never utilized this chat. And intern Alex, on his own, I ask, hey, there's some obscure Olympic sport where they adjust for wind. And he says, oh, Olympic ski jumping. Jumpers get a score based on their distance and style points given by judges. Then a compensation for wind speed is added or subtracted. Alex, did you know that off the top of your head or did you Google that? No, no, I looked it up. Oh, okay. See, they know, they know how to use the internet. Did you Google it or chat GPT it? Like, we need to know how to stay, stay abreast of the latest things here. This one I Googled. Okay. All right. The kids are still using Google. I think I know how to use that. But yeah, that, that, well, that's good. Now we got the clarification. Oh, wait, I, before you go, Alex, I want to. I want a quick. Uh, I want a prediction: Ingebrigtsen or Nagus in Rabat. Who you got? It's tough to bet against Jakob Ingebrigtsen. I'm going to go with Jakob. Let me ask you, Alex a question: What percent of your teammates at Wesleyan do you think follow like pro track and field at all? Fifty uh, percent. Oh, better, better than, better than my Cornell boys. By the way, if you ran for me at Cornell and are not a Supporters Club member, shame on you. All the meets I took you to, all the time I spent away from my family. I didn't really have a family back then, but you know what I mean. Sign up today, let'srun.com slash subscribe. Think of all the dates Rojo could have gone on if he wasn't yeah. away at these meets on the weekend. Uh, it is interesting, Weldon, though. You give praise to, uh, well, you're praising Salazar's athletes for racing a lot, which... I do like that the OAC does this. Like, how many other... You do have Cor Corey McGee's going to this meet as well. She was in Japan over the weekend, and she was in the Diamond League opener in Doha, along with Emma Coburn. So I'm going to give credit to Team Boss for also getting out there, Joe Bossard sled group, for racing these international Diamond Leagues. But I, I love it. It's May. We've still got six weeks or so to go to the USAs. They're flying out to Africa to go up against some of the best. And from what it sounds like, the OAC crew is also going to be in Oslo for 
that Diamond League in a few weeks where it's rumored that Jakob Ingebrigtsen is going to be going off to the world record. So I love it. You know, he's the standard in the event. Go out there, test yourself, see how close you are, and then come back and try to get better if you get beat. Or if you beat him, it's like, okay, we're doing some things right. I, I love it. I'm torn now to think because Nagusa has always been my guy. Remember? I spotted his talent, John. Well, after he won the NCAA title on 1500. But after he won that ACC cross country in 2020, I said, oh, he's going to make the Olympic team. But I know Jakob has seen some video clips of this podcast and said John's his favorite host. But the young guys are often, they don't understand. Like, there, there are certain things you guys want to be true, but they're not true. And then when you're older, you realize we well, you just deal with facts. So I don't want to upset him, though, because I kind of want his approval now. It's a problem. Like to pick against him is insane. That's what's so amazing about this. Like, uh, Ingebrigtsen, well, you said he opened up, you know, last year pre-outdoors in the 1500, But the year before that, I was looking up indoors, 330, first time out the gate in the indoor 1500, first race of the year. So he's got to be in at least 330 shape. He's Because he's always in 330 shape. This yeah. is the thing. Like, Ingebrigtsen, people are saying, oh, can Nagus challenge him? Which I think is a fair question, but... Who ran faster at 1500 this year indoors? It was Ingebrigtsen. He ran 332-38 in his opener and leave-in. And because he didn't break the world record in his first race like he did the year before, he was saying, oh, it's not that great. 332 in your opener indoors is still really amazing. But because it's Ingebrigtsen, we take it for, for granted. He runs 333 in the Euro indoor final, wins that race. You know, we're just not freaking out about it because we've seen it from him before. I... I'm going to pick Ingebrigtsen because of the consistency factor. I wouldn't be shocked if Yaron Nagus wins this race. I also think, I mean, people are sleeping a bit on Oli Hoare, who was sort of the number two or number three guy on the Diamond League circuit in the 1500 last year. He wasn't good enough to beat Jakob, but he was beating everyone else. And then indoors, because suddenly he gets obliterated by Nagus, at Milrose, we're just totally forgetting about him. He won the Commonwealth Games, one of the best races of the year. I don't know what kind of shape he's in right now, but I think people are just, just everyone assuming that suddenly Nagus has surpassed him as the best miler in the OAC. I mean, let's give the guy a few more races, see what he's got. Even though Garcia Romo was fourth at Worlds and nobody else in the OAC was even in the World's Final. People are sleeping on Mario Garcia Romo as well. Well, we've already said it. Mario Garcia Romo, and I, I said it after indoors, and Ollie Hoare need to find a new group. They're never going to be near Nagus again. But I'm not sure. And Jakob is never going to lose a 5,000, at least a championship one in his life. 1,500. Oh, man. I just, it's so exciting to think about. The whole year is going to be amazing. I, I cannot wait until the Budapest 1,500-meter final, assuming knock on wood these guys are healthy. Like, even then, we won't know. Well, if Nagus is beating him in a rabbited race, well, he's got to keep his form, though, for another three months. There's a lot that will happen between now and then. I mean, if Jakob comes out and just lays the smack down in, in this meet, maybe we're not as excited for the final but in Budapest. But I think it's going to be a great year in the 1500. And speaking of that, let's go to the other 1500 that's happening this weekend, which we thought was going to be also, we thought that was going to be the big deal until we saw this robot start list. And that's out in Los Angeles on Saturday. Now, there are some distance races on Friday night. That's kind of the distance portion of this meet. 
but the men's and women's 1500s, the top sections will be on Saturday. And you've got Timothy Chariot, Reynold Chariot, who just won in Nairobi, the world under 20 champion who we're very high on here on let's run.com. And you've also got Cole Hawker and Cooper Tier. So the reigning U S champion Cooper Tier and Cole Hawker, who was the 2021 U S champion hasn't raced much this year due to injury. He only had that one indoor race. I do wonder, will Cole Hawker withdraw? Like, is he healthy? Cause a healthy Cole Hawker, my pick at the start of the year, I said he was going to medal at worlds. I still believe in his talent. We just haven't seen the healthy, Cole Hawker, we didn't really see it last year when he bombed out in the first round at USA's, and we haven't seen it yet this year. So I'm very intrigued to see where he's at, and they're going to get a big test because for some reason, I, I love it, but it's crazy that chari- the two chariots are flying all the way out to LA to compete in this meet as opposed to the Diamond League and Rabat. I hope they're getting paid or Nike's forced them to do it as part of their contract because well, maybe maybe it's like the LA weather, John. Maybe it's a. If you're in Kenya, this has to be like, a Nike flex, right? Like, is Nike even a sponsor of this meet? Well, John Capriotti is one of the meet directors, so I think Nike has some sort of involvement. Even though Capriotti is no longer, you know, head of sports marketing, he still does this consulting stuff. We know his Nike ties, so I'm guessing Nike has some sort of sway in this meet. Oh, right here. Official sponsor, actually, John. A big swoosh. Thank you, Nike. Not but enough way to make a thing Mo compete in it, apparently, but she's coming off of COVID is the official explanation from the camp. Or Michael Norman, right? Well, Michael or- Norman, like, I legit, like, he's withdrawn, apparently, due to injury as well, but I believe that because I saw him race in... Dohar and he looked well off the pace. He was dead lost in that 200. Something looked wrong with him. So the Norman one makes sense to me. Is Rye Benjamin running? Rye Benjamin is entered in the 400 hurdles. Coleman's in there, who I think Coleman is basically Coleman and Marvin Bracey are their top US sprinters now by default because they used to have Curly's gone to A6. Jacobs was with Nike. He's not American, but he's now with Puma. So and Noah Lyles is Adidas, so I guess they have that. Coleman's there. Shakari Richardson, who's Nike, is also running, and she's running against Marie Jose Talu, who just ran ten seven eight in Claremont. So, and Leah Hobbs. That's going to be a great women's hundred as well. But there's fifteen hundred. What are you guys expecting from Hawker and Tia? Well, my first impression is Hawker really going to run it because he hasn't raced. Could also be a Nike flex to make him race it. Of course, he's going to race it. If he wasn't going to race, why would he be on the start list three days before the meet starts? Well, he might be injured, Robert. These <laughs> these things. If someone says they're injured, and they pull out. I've, I've seen people pull out much later than four days before the race, which is where we're at right now. I think Chariot wins this race. Oh no, 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 no! Excuse which me. Chariot? There's two Chariots. It's funny when I. I think Reynold Chariot wins this race. Timothy Chariot, second, then Cooper Tier in there. Then Hawker. I'm not expecting anything Hawker just because he hasn't raced. Like He's going to take on these guys right off the bat? I don't know. I'm, maybe I'm too old school. I like to see a, 
tune-up race. But as you guys pointed out, Jakob Ingerbissen ran 330.60 to break the world record last year indoors, his first race of the year. Like, antiquated thinking. Yeah, in gen- look, in general, I think if you're fit, you're fit. You don't need to worry about a tune-up race. But Cole Hawker, it's not so much that he hasn't run a tune-up race. It's that I don't know if he's where he's at right now. And this is a baptism by fire because the guys he's going up against, we know Reynold Chariot's in really good shape. Timothy Chariot just ran 736 for 3K. I mean, he and 144 for 800. So we know he's pretty fit. And Cooper has been pretty solid as well. He ran 334 uh, back in April. And he's run 13-12. He won that, the 5K at Mount Sac a few weeks ago. So I would have the order the same as you explained it well then. Just because Hawker, we know he wasn't 100% indoors. And that mistraining, going up against some of these top guys in the world, I, th- I think it makes it very hard for him to be competitive. But I think he has that talent. He just needs to be able to stay healthy. This is just, it's a great early season matchup. We get to see where Timothy Cherry is in the 1500. I think he's going to win it. We're disrespecting this guy. He's kind of like Paul Chalima. He has one sort of off year and he's written off. 144 and 736 is pretty good. You know, the the question to me is are they going to have a pro pro rabbit? If they had a Diamond League rabbit that could go 1,000 meters, I think that would really help him. He likes to just set that fast pace and grind it out. If he ends up being the rabbit for the other chariot, it might hurt him. But then I'm, this is big for, for Tier. He wants to stay in the 1500. Jerry wants him in the five. Man, that five, man, well, neither team's easy to make in the U.S. level. But, and then how, how does Hawker stack up? Uh, it's just, it's great. Should we be waiting for a small crowd to show up before we say, oh, track and field's unpopular? Or should we give USAT a chance to actually pull off a popular meet in LA? Robert, you can't write off this meet yet. We got to give them credit. They're trying some new things. I haven't really always understood the connection between music concert after the meet and people going to a track meet, but they have the Legends Jam after this. It says LA's best singers and musicians performing the Beatles, Michael Jackson, Prince. They're all back from the dead. Judith yeah, Hill. Well, then, actually, I went on this website. It's It's incredibly misleading i think they mean to have an entire sentence saying la's best singers and musicians performing you know songs by the beatles michael jackson etc but instead it just has performing and then there's a new thing it has the beatles michael jackson prince etc all these people who are dead yes it's confusing but i think i understand what they mean now well, Judith Hill is listed, and she is actually performing. Your actual performers are Judith Hill, Machiko Hill. Not, don't think there's a. Everyone's a Hill. I don't think they're related though. Robert Peewee Hill, Donald Taylor and Harmony, and Tia P. So, does this show the, the demographic they're going for? They're trying to get everybody that was like a fan of the '84 LA Games, all the old people, to show up at the meet. Walton says that they're doing something new. Hey, look, it's easy to be a critic, and, and I give him credit for tr- doing this, but this isn't new, Walton. <laughs> Remember when they had that thing? I think it's now a soccer arena. They built a, a, a track in, in California somewhere, and Adidas had a meet out there. What's it called? It was in Carson. Oh. It was the Home Depot Center. It's I think it's changed now, but it's where the LA Galaxy play. Does it still exist as a track, or is that gone? But they had a meet out there, and they had a – rapper in the middle of the infield and opposed to 
revolutionize track and field. It didn't happen. So, hey, I hope I'm proven wrong and there's a huge crowd. It, 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 the women's 100 here, I should probably have a poll on it because you're going to have Shakari, which to me, I, I can have Shakari just racing herself. It's fascinating to me. But on my win conversion, she's the, the fastest woman in the world this year, 1077. Marie Jose Talu, she's in this race. She's the third fastest, 1083. And then Aaliyah Hobbs is the fifth fastest. So you have the first, third, and fifth fastest women in the world, you know, all, all racing. But I, like Hobbs is at 1097 if you're adjusting for win. I mean, I, I expect she carried just to blow them away. But, you know, that should be cool. Okay. The meat, there's a lot that's weird with it. We're now down to like one out of four of LA's top actual track and field athletes are running this thing. Even though the top two are connected to Bobby Kersey, who at least initially was very, he was on a promotional calls for this me promoting it. Anyway, we can get to that some of that in a minute. But Shakari in the hundred, Great Men's fifteen hundred, Rye Benjamin as well. Like it's worth the price of admission in LA trying something new. Like if you're in LA, go to this meet. Like the Men's fifteen hundred is very exciting for me. And Shakari, get your kids. Going out there. It is interesting though. I'm looking the cheapest tickets they have available for general admission is forty nine dollars. I know for you know, by the standards of regular sporting events, that's not that much, but for track and field that seems does that not strike you guys as a little pricey for a general admission ticket? Yeah, it's the whole pricing thing's weird because it says the regular seat for the Legends Jam is thirty bucks. You can get in distance tonight for twenty five. It says the Grand Prix seating technically the cheapest price is fifty nine bucks, but you can get the bundle of all three for forty nine. So, I guess buy, buy the bundle. But I'm sort of shocked. The cheapest seat for a track meet in America is fifty bucks. Is that really this? What's going to happen? Fifty uh, yes, bucks. That's what okay. I'm surprised by. Right. This is L A. People. Who cares? Like I, I've always thought we should have a official document on Let's Run and. This is why if I was the head of USATF, like if you consider yourself a track fan, you must agree to do the following. Number one would obviously be sign up for the Let's Run or supporters club, let's run.com slash subscribe. But if I was head of USATF, it'd be like, okay, you'd be a USATF member. It's like a hundred dollars a year or something. So that you're supporting USA track and field. And then you should agree to go to like one pro track meet in your town a year. If they have one. Now I don't think people should be obligated to go to, the Jesse Williams meet, this meet, that meet. No, no, no. Just agree to go to one to support track. You don't have to go to all of them. So if you live in LA and haven't been to a pro meet, this you're running out of chances. So please attend. Well, yeah. Look, if you're a track fan, like Weldon already said, this is a meet that's worth going to. You're going to see some stars. You're not going to see as many stars as we thought they were going to be, but there are good races here. There are big names. I. I hope people show up and support this thing. Drake Stadium, I do think, is kind of on the larger side, so it might be hard to fill it. Well, they're not going to come close to filling it, but it would be nice to get a few thousand people out there. Because it's interesting, I watched the Bermuda Games, and pretty much the whole home straight, I don't know how big it was, it wasn't overwhelmingly huge, but the home straight looked to be pretty much sold out. There were fans, and a meet just looks so much better when you've got a full home straight, even if it's only a thousand seats. Sydney McLaughlin will not be there, but it came out this week that she will be in Paris. So she's actually running a Diamond League. John, has she ever run a Diamond League that she hasn't had to run before? Yes. 
Well, what do you mean had to run? You don't have to run any Diamond Leagues. But this is her first... When do you guys think... I'll let you guys guess. When do you think the last time she ran a Diamond League event was in any distance? I feel like she ran one after the Olympics. September 2021. Robert, what's your guess? No idea. The answer is August of 2019. The Diamond League final in the 400-meter hurdles in Zurich. She did not run any races after the 2021 Olympics. She ran one race after the 2022 Worlds, which was the Istvan Gulliai Memorial Meet in Hungary. So this is a big deal. She's flying over to France. She's running a flat 400. Don't know who will be in the field. Don't really care, frankly. I mean, it would be great to see her race against Pauline Ho or someone like that, but the fact that she's just running a Diamond League 400, I think, is great news. Certainly curious that she withdraw from the LA Grand Prix like 11 days out, but then now she's okay to fly across to June, to Europe to run in Paris. But I'm not going to complain about her running a race. This is good. This is what we've been asking her to do: is run a Diamond League. She's going to Europe to run a Diamond League. I'm excited for it. That's good. And it's an event where she hasn't run seriously for quite some time. You know, she's run a couple of 400s as a pro. She ran one at, in Azusa a couple of years ago, and she did run the Shanghai Diamond League in the flat 400 in 2019. I didn't remember that at all. But, but her PB dates back to her freshman year at Kentucky, 50.07. That was in March of 2018. So I think she's in position to run a lot faster than that. Is she going to be able to match Britton Wilson's 49.13? Is it going to be even faster than that? Is it somewhere in between? I don't know, but I'm very excited to see how she does. I got to admit, though, this gives Ray's take, Ray Edwards, a sprinter, on Twitter with hot takes. His conspiracy theory that they were not running this meet because they weren't getting paid enough or Bobby didn't want him. He wasn't getting paid enough. She signs up for Paris. Gives that conspiracy theory a little bit more weight. But I will say, like, it could just be, like, maybe Bobby Kersey's a lot like Jerry Schumacher or even the guy sitting across the office here for me, John Kellogg. Like, it was kind of hard to coach with John at Cornell because he wanted things perfect. And anything was off. No, they're not doing this race. Nope, they can't work out on Wednesday. They got to work out on Tuesday. I'm like, dude, we have a meet on Saturday. Nope, he's not ready to go. I want him working out tomorrow. Like, it was that specific. Uh, I think sometimes that that control actually helps the coach end up sort of being viewed by the athlete as a guru, but sometimes I think it puts added stress on athletes. Anyways, in defense of Sydney, she did set four world records in the, in the 400 hurdles in the span of 13 months. So I wrote in the week that was this week, anyone else that wants to barely race, as long as they promise to break four world, world, the world record four times in 13 months, I guess I'll let you do that. I'm glad she has your permission, Robert. Like John, what if you're Nagus said, I'm not going to race worlds, I'm not going to run USA's, but I'm going to break the world record in the, in the 1500 four times between now and... I'd call it coward for not running USA's. I mean, breaking the world record in the 1500, okay, that'd be really impressive, but if you're not showing up to championships, that you're, you're a coward. Wow. He wouldn't do that, so there's no... I mean, we don't have to debate about that. 
I need to get the Nagu shirts ready. The other thing about Sydney is it's interesting. Like I, when I interviewed her at the New Balance Indoor Grand Prix this year, she said she wanted to race more. I do think part of it might be like maybe Sydney really does want to run more of these races, and Kirsty's not letting her. But then there's also part of me, her. You know, last year I said, "Why didn't you run after Worlds apart from that hungry me?" And she's like, "Well, it was a long season. I was worn. You know, I was kind of tired." wasn't really that long a season. She didn't race all that much. and But she got married. She wanted to go on her honeymoon. So, but you know, it was just kind of as a fan, as a fan, I'm watching the meet. I'm watching the Monaco Diamond League. And instead of seeing Sydney McLaughlin Lavroni competing in the Monaco Diamond League, she's in the stands watching the Monaco Diamond League right after breaking the world record. I'm like, ah, come on, you know? When, when she was supposed to race Monaco, right, originally? Like, that was insulting to me. And I go, I know they're there and they're trying to butter up so she comes this year, but no. I would have I would have hit her in a skybox just so that she what didn't show her face. All right, people, I think that'll do it for the podcast. But <clears throat> Friday 15, and then another Sunday podcast. If you're not a supporters club member, you won't you can hear Sundays live right after robot ends, 10 minutes after it's over. Come to Electron.com. We'll do a video show live with our hot takes. And that'll be available in your podcast feed in case you miss the meet with the family or whatever you're doing. But have a good weekend. Until next time, signing off. Summer's almost here, and that means hydration. You got to stay hydrated. You got to do it with Drink Element, my favorite electrolyte drink. Summer also means that grapefruit salt, the most unbelievable flavor of Drink Element, is back. They have a money-back guarantee. So that means you should go for the Insider Bundle. You can pick four different flavors. Link in the show notes, letsrun.com slash drink. And don't forget, join the Supporters Club. We're probably going to have two bonus podcasts before you hear us next. A weekend preview on Friday, and then a podcast recap of the amazing Robot Diamond League meet. Join today, let's run.com slash subscribe.